Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. And hi, I'm Catherine. We are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Our mission is to showcase vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. These women lead fulfilling lives for themselves and others. Visit our website, womenover70.com, where you can access all the episodes. We also invite you to join our monthly podcast club. And we welcome speaking to your organization or group on Aging Reimagined. If women aging is a market you would like to reach, consider sponsoring an episode. Finally, if you're an author with a book about women, check out our book promotion opportunity. Today, we are delighted to bring to you Marsha Ross. Marsha Ross is 78 years old and lives in Chicago. She and I have known each other for over 50 years. Dynamic movement describes Marsha the best. Once a sixth grade teacher, she only slowed down long enough to stay at home after her daughters were born before returning to her mission to make a difference. Going back for her master's degree in Jewish communal service at Spurtis Institute, led her to work for important institutions where her political advocacy and love of Chicago history propelled her into meaningful work. Now fully retired, she devotes a good portion of her time as a volunteer docent for the Chicago Architecture Center. So, Marcia, thanks for joining us today and sharing your story with women over 70. It's really a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Gail and Catherine. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so uh, why don't we start by your telling us uh, what drew you to Jewish communal services and how that play out for you? Uh, probably there were several factors that led to my eventual, um, I call it my second career path, because as you mentioned, uh, I was a, a elementary school teacher on my, during my early marriage before I had children. And um, it was actually during those years of being a young mother that I joined um, the National Council of Jewish Women, a really wonderful national organization that began here in Chicago in 1893 at the World's Fair. And it was through NCJW that I learned how to become a political advocate, a social activist. And uh, so that was uh, you know, a good progression uh, toward what I eventually wound up doing. Um, at the same time, as my children were getting older, my husband um, would periodically ask me, well, you know, what are your plans for after the kids are gone, after they, they've left the house? And I, I, I don't want to give a misimpression here. We were a very traditional family. I was definitely a stay-at-home mom. And he, you know, he was the, the one that worked outside the house. But he was um, very aware that I would have other needs and had to do other things. And it was just never an issue if there was something I wanted to do or pursue that he would step in and do whatever needed to be done in terms of the kids or the house, et cetera. So as the years went on, he, he really increasingly forced me to think about what I was going to do later on. And uh, I have to say, it. Sometimes it was very frustrating for me. Um, I was 
happy, I suppose, that he had that kind of faith and confidence in, in me and my ability to, to reach out and to grow and to mature. Uh, but it wasn't easy necessarily finding my way, but eventually I did. <laughs> and, and so what did you do? Uh, well, uh, actually, when I was home with a couple of adolescent daughters, I decided I really needed an outlet. And so I went to Spurtis Institute and I just started taking some Judaic courses. I, before I became an elementary school teacher, I was majoring in history. I really love history, uh, American history in, in particular, but um, also Jewish history. And so at Spurtis, I, I just started taking a variety of courses. And while I was there, I found that they had a master's degree program in Jewish communal service. Now, I had had quite a taste of that through my work with National Council of Jewish Women, and I did continue in NCJW um, through all my uh, all the subsequent years, um, even when we lived out of town for a couple of years and then moved back to the Chicago area. So the, the, that aspect of, uh, of working within the Jewish community to be an advocate uh, was really appealing to me. So I wound up putting these assorted courses that I took toward my master's degree and then ultimately uh, in the early 80s completed my master's degree in Jewish communal service. <laughs> yes, you and I actually met through uh, National Association, through what, through, through NCJW. Yes, right. Right, 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 we did. So we I did. remember those years well when you, when you started your, uh, on, on your new path to, in Jewish communal service. I was very lucky that um, I had to do an internship, and so I asked for it at the Jewish Federation in their Community Relations Council because I had actually, as an NCJW member, been uh, a representative to that council uh, for a brief time. And uh, so I got this internship, which led to my first job. So, you know, that was very lucky indeed. And then what did you do? You did something else, I believe, after Spurtis? After, uh, yeah. Well, and from Spurtis, after I finished my internship, I did start working uh, at the Federation in the Jewish Community Relations Council. And just coincidentally, and it's funny how life's loose ends sort of tie up, um, I chaired the Domestic Concerns Committee of that, uh, the Jewish Community Relations Council. So as such, I, had, I dealt with the domestic agenda, all the different issues that you can imagine. And one of the things that came across my desk regularly, this is the mid 1980s, was a newsletter from this new commission that had been formed to create a living memorial uh, to the victims of the Holocaust. So well before I ever imagined I could be working for that organization, I was familiar with what they were trying to do. Hmm. And so when I left, uh, the Federation. I left uh, because I was given a chance to apply for and then did get a, a job in the Midwest office that was charged with raising the funds um, to help build the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. That had to be pretty exciting. That was so exciting. I mean, I've, I've looked back on it and I've said, you know, the good news and the bad news. Um, it's basically, of course, all good news. It was incredibly exciting. That project really took the country by storm and people bought into it in such a wholehearted way. It was 
very gratifying um, to the point where, of course, it would be hard to find another job that would maybe ever match that kind of, uh, of excitement. But it was really one of the most fulfilling experiences of my life. I, I signed my contract literally the week that ground was broken, and I was with the museum actually during two different stints, but the first time I was with the museum through the opening and for then about three years afterwards. And it was, you know, I learned all kinds of things about myself in that job. <laughs> and so you had never done fundraising before, had you? I hadn't. In fact, NCJW would have little fundraising uh, activities. We sold box boxes. Right. I would. Do you remember that, Gail? I sure do. <laughs> I would have the hardest time asking a friend to buy a locks box. I mean, I just found that so difficult. And so, you know, I thought, how am I going to ask people for money? But I, I the person that hired me was someone I had known slightly um, from the Federation. She was one of about three wonderful women that did mentor me through my, the, the beginning and the, the growth of my professional career. And she said, you can do it. I know you can do it. And I found I could do it. When you're passionate about something, when it's a good organization, when you work with like-minded people, it's, it's easy, actually, mm -hmm. to ask people to support that organization. And, um, and I got to like it, <laughs> the fundraising part as well. So, so what, was, what was your role exactly? I was the associate director of the Midwest office. Um, I was actually hired uh, to travel. Midwest office is located here in the Chicago area, and but it does cover the whole Midwest. And I was actually hired to be the traveling person to other cities in the Midwest. And uh, and I I found that that too. I mean, I never traveled anywhere on my own. Um, I I, I like that very much. I found uh, it was um, you know something that I was able to do and uh, meet new people all along the way, get to know other cities uh, and their communities. And so I, I was basically the, the traveler. Although I did a lot of work also in Chicago raising money. Yeah. I, yeah. I was just going to say the kind of work that we did was through small group meetings and then direct solicitation, um, which, um, you know, both those ways are, are were our primary methods of raising funds. Mm -hmm. So then then one of your children had you have you have how many daughters? I have two daughters, three granddaughters. <laughs> and what happened when you're all girls? <laughs> what happened when your first grandchild was born? Well, when my first grandchild was born, I had actually left the Holocaust Museum for a period of six years. I then went back. But um, when my first grandchild was born, I was working as director of development back at Spurtis Institute. So again, you know, things seem to come full circle. And um, I decided that I, I knew I wanted to be a very hands-on grandmother. So I was able to modify my work week uh, and, and just work a four-day week and spend one week uh, babysitting, which um, I, I really felt that, um, that you know, I knew the years were fleeting, that, that these kids would be little and that you have to take advantage of it when you can. And so I was lucky that I was able to do that. Mm -hmm. 
And then when then then you went back, you said for three years to the Holocaust Museum. Yeah, yeah, about three four years. The museum was about to celebrate its tenth anniversary, oh. and just so hard to believe. I mean, it opened <laughs> in ninety three. So in two thousand and two, I actually went back uh, to work for the uh, Holocaust Museum for another four years, and um, and it was from that. Uh, office that I ultimately retired uh, in 2006. So what what was retirement meaning to you? What what did it what did you think you might want to do during retirement? You know, so many uh, of my peers were really looking forward to retirement and I have to say that I didn't really share that enthusiasm um because I, I maybe because I had a job that I like so much. Uh, the idea of having more free and flexible time certainly had its appeal, but I think that I was a little concerned. How would I fill it up meaningfully? And, uh, you know, would I get the same satisfaction out of being retired that I did out of my work? Uh, so I, I needed to retire when I did retire because of several of just life's factors. Um, you know, my life got complicated in, in other ways, mostly good ways, but it really was time for me to retire and I've never regretted it. Um, but I would say that it took a while till I was really able to realize the satisfaction that, you know, you get out of having uh, a busy life in retirement. Marcia, how long was that phase for you, that adjusting from, from working in a job you loved into finding the next the next new passion. I I just as I said, you know, life sort of gets in the way. The point that I retired, uh, my husband, um, who's a physician, uh, he's a urologist, and he had just become president of his national organization. So for a couple of years, we were incredibly busy traveling all over the place. It was incredibly exciting and definitely fulfilling. I also had three little granddaughters. Um, my mother was was quite ill at the time, and that was also a, a factor that I needed to have time, you know, with her. So I really had several years uh, where I was just very, very busy and didn't have to think too much about what I was going to do. Okay. Um, and and so. then what happened when you, when all that was sort of over? Well, actually, at the point where I thought I could stop and take a breath, um, one of my daughters was diagnosed with breast cancer. So it was at that point, I, I had become um, a docent for the Chicago Architecture Federation while I was working full time before I had grandchildren, because I needed, again, I, I needed an outlet. And... Um, I, I love Chicago history. I love all the stories about Chicago. And I had always thought that one day I would like to become a docent for the architecture uh, center. And uh, so at the point that my daughter got sick, I was training for their very well-known river cruise to be a docent on that. 
And so, I mean, I had, it was a rough year or so. She's, that was 2007. She's healthy. She's a hundred percent fine. It all worked out well. But so again, you know, my, my trying to determine a clear cut path was a little, a little cloudy. Um, but, you know, eventually um, I, I was able to do that and learn more architecture tours. And today I'm really quite busy with my work for the architecture center. How many tours do you conduct? I knew you would ask me that, so I actually counted. Now, what did I come up with? I I do the river tour and a bus tour, and I think it's currently five walking tours. Um, and actually, this summer, I am signed up to learn two more. Wow. Uh, we moved downtown about four years ago, and uh, that was one of the main reasons I wanted to be downtown, so that I could give more tours and be more involved with the architecture center. Do you find uh, as you are, well, aging, <laughs> do you find that it's, it's harder for you to do these things, to learn new tours? It seems that there's so much to learn for each one. You know, I have those moments when I think, uh, why can't I recall this? Or why can't I recall that? And yet, uh, the flip side of that, I think, but look at how well you can remember dates and architects and whatever. And so that actually um, has given me kind of positive feelings. So I, I so far haven't had a problem, um, you know, with learning anything new and, and retaining it. And it's probably because I enjoy it that it that I retain it. <laughs> um, so that so far, I'm able to really keep up. There are so many docents that are retired. In fact, I, I would guess maybe even the majority of docents are, are people who are retired, although certainly many younger than me, but a number that are older than I am as well. And so far, I'm able to keep up on the walking tours and, and um, you know, anything I want to do with them. What, uh, <laughs> what, what other kinds of things do you do? I know that you were very active as a bike rider for many years. I was. My husband and I were, were avid bike riders. Uh, we had our individual bikes. We had a tandem bike. And we rode a lot. Um, he probably was uh, the more avid of the two of us. But, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. And uh, actually, when you ask about feeling about aging, um, I had I had had several bike accidents. I'm not the most coordinated person uh, one could meet. And so I had broken bones a couple of times uh, riding my bike, never gave it a thought, got right back on. And then about five years ago, I had a very bad accident, uh, one that was absolutely not my fault at all. Uh, but I badly broke my wrist. And I broke my pelvis, and I, I said at that point, I'm never getting on a bike again, and, and I haven't. And I think that it's realizing um, that uh, you've reached that point in your life. I have also developed um, osteoporosis, which, I mean, breaking a bone is increasingly dangerous. So that's, you know, that's reaching, understanding that you've reached a point that there are certain things that you can't do. Uh, is kind of a sobering fact that you have to adjust to. I'm trying. <laughs> yes. I, I want to go back to something you said earlier when we were talking about adjusting to retirement. Mm -hmm. and, and you said that you, you had to go through a process of prioritizing the myriad of possibilities. 
what how did you think about that was there an actual process you went through to to determine what you might really like to do where your passion was you know i i don't know that i made up a list and gave things a number or whatever but um in the day and age that we're living in the possibilities are really limitless they're almost daunting and you know you're just bombarded with all kinds of wonderful organizations that have so many enrichment activities and i really felt that during the pandemic in the early months i just embraced everything and was constantly zooming and that was good that really was good um, but I actually got to the point where I was feeling overwhelmed by it. And now as the weather is getting nicer, as I'm learning new walking tours, uh, I, I have deliberately um, stopped seeking out those kinds of things. I, I will revisit it next winter probably when I'm looking for activities, but I, I don't know it's, if others feel that way too, that sometimes there's just so much there that how do you how do you pick and choose? I know I like to read. I'm in a wonderful book uh, club, just wonderful. Uh, we're in a, also a great film group. And uh, and then I have an ongoing dialogue with several good friends. We do masterclass uh, series together. And so these things really are ongoing, very satisfying, and um, do fill up, you know, whatever the free time that I have besides the uh, touring that I give. Have your friendships changed since you've been in retirement? A lot of uh, women we interview who were, you know, full-time, worked full-time for many, many, many years were, um, have commented that, that the friendships are not the same and they, they have to go about making new friends. How do you feel about that? Oh, that's such an interesting question. Well, Gail, our NCJW friendships that have been flourishing for, as you say, about 50 years um, show no signs of diminishing that. We've all changed and, and grown in different ways, and, and but those bonds are, are still strong. Um, I actually have a couple of close friendships from my days working as a fundraiser, and uh, that's, you know, these are personal relationships now rather than professional ones, although I do keep my hand into in the Holocaust Museum as a volunteer. So there's a little crossover. Um, I don't know, I, I, I made some new friends when I joined this book club about 10 years ago, uh, but I don't really think that, uh, that they're, I really embrace the idea of meeting new people, and uh, and, I, and actually we moved into a high rise about four years ago. So I have I wouldn't call them close friends at the point, but I've definitely met some new people that I enjoy being with. I would hope that would continue. I, I think that that's an important part of life is to constantly be meeting new people and uh, exploring new relationships. Mm hmm. So how do you think about aging, Marcia? What do you think about it? You're, you're so very active. You're going to be 79 soon. Not too soon. But yes, right. It is the next next birthday. And my husband just had the next big milestone. So we've been very focused on the, the big number that's coming up. Um, you, you can't help but think about it because when you've led a, a long, I think, rich life um, and you look ahead, uh, I do think about it. Um, I, if I'm upset about something, angry about something or concerned, I mean, I, I try to 
remember that uh, you know I, I don't want to waste time going down the wrong dark path. Mm-hmm. That um, there's just I, I I think at this stage you do get the sense that you know life is not an infinite <laughs> journey, and uh, so so I, I can't help but think about it. But um, you know, try to put a, a positive spin on on what's yet to come. <laughs> Yes, yes. Catherine, did you want to say anything? I was curious, Marcia, you um, referred earlier in the conversation, referred to yourself as an advocate, and mm-hmm. I think maybe an activist. Do you do you think of the, the, the range of work that you've been involved in as being um, a, a social activist? Is that how, how you would characterize your, yourself? Well, I think some of the things that I did as an NCJW member as a, as a volunteer were, you know, certainly social activism. And then my work with the Community Relations Council of the Federation, um, you know, helping to organize rallies and um, uh, meetings and conferences and things, uh, was, you know, certainly uh, social activism. Um, today, and I'm glad you asked that, Catherine, because um, one of the uh, things uh, the last election was of, of great concern to me, and uh, a couple of years before the election, I started advocating on the part of a couple of uh, uh, congressional candidates through an organization called Jack Pack, and I worked with them. Uh, and then, as it got closer to the election, I wrote you know myriad tons of postcards. Mm-hmm. I made telephone calls. Now I had, I had made telephone calls previous to that in the last several elections. And I, I I don't like doing it particularly. I'd rather not, but I felt it was necessary. This time I really felt um, that, you know, adamant that I that it was very necessary and all those postcards were very necessary. And when the outcomes came, both the presidential election and then also the election in Georgia, I got active in that as well. I felt very good about it. I felt like I had really made a difference and I continue to, uh, I will continue to um, to do those kinds of activities. I think they're important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Then I wanted to ask a more personal question about, you have three granddaughters and I, I kind of lost track of what age they might be by now, but are you involved in the in their lives? And um, Well, they, they're so grown up. And uh, so I'm certainly not involved the way I was when they were little where I was uh, there constantly. I was really lucky they lived so close. But they're now they're 17, 19, well, almost almost 20 and almost 22. Uh-huh. And uh, yes, we're, you know, we're very close. The two at college I, you know, talk to while they're away. They're they're sweet and warm and loving, but you know, they very they're they're great. They've got very independent lives and uh, I, I mean it's the way it should be. So the kind of hands-on activity that I had when they were little, of mm-hmm. course, is, is certainly over, but, and I'm not involved in that way, but I'm, I, I really feel a part of their, their world. And I hope I always do. Yeah. That's, that's lovely. Mm-hmm. I, I think you mentioned that you were all going on a trip to celebrate your husband's upcoming special birthday. 
Well, actually, we were all going on the trip to celebrate a special birthday, but my youngest granddaughter, I have two of my three granddaughters are soccer players, and uh, uh, one is finishing um, her soccer career at Purdue University. Uh, she's uh, uh, actually just started graduate school there, but another one will be playing soccer in college when she enters as a freshman in the fall of 2022. So that one actually has uh, uh, the playoffs. Her high school team made the playoffs and she will unfortunately have to miss Grandpa's uh, big celebration and her dad will stay home with her for a couple of days and join us later. So you know what? I'm lucky that they live close and that I get to see as much of them as I do. And it's, it's, you know, we all feel sad that she can't be with us, but that's life. And um, I told her we'd do something special with her at another time. Right. Right. Yes. Right, right. So, so last question. Uh, mm -hmm. What do you have any, do, do you ever think about what you might have told your younger self before, uh, you know, from this perspective in your life, is there, Anything you, you would have said to your younger self that you might know? Well, I don't know if I would have said this to my younger self, but if knowing what I know now, if I could do certain things differently, as I mentioned, I had been a history major when I in college and I, I did four years of college and three years so I could marry my boyfriend who was in, in the middle of medical school. Um, I, I will just add parenthetically that one of my granddaughters was shocked to know that you had to get married before you could live together in my day, you know, so <laughs> that just shows you the generation gap. But um, I never pursued the interest in history uh, in the academic way that I might have it, you know, were I just starting out today. I was able to pursue it with studies at Spurtis and, of course, with the history of Chicago and its architecture. But, uh, you know, if I were able to go back and say, maybe fine tune this, maybe I would have, uh, it was practical reasons that I switched to elementary education so I could get a job. Uh, but maybe then after my kids were born, maybe I would have continued studying history. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the only advice or the only thing I might have done differently. Yes. Well, as you say, you, you've brought it into your, your more recent life. And so I guess it's a part of you still. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Marcia, for being on the show with us. And well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed speaking with you. And um, I thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And listeners, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Become an active participant in our community through our Facebook group. And no matter your age, participate in our monthly Zoom gatherings. You'll find everything you need to know about Women Over 70 community on womenover70.com. And we'll see you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.